This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Hi, Barbara. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. So excited to be here. It's so crazy. You're from Miami, right? I am. I am. So I'm, my parents are Peruvians. They immigrated to Miami and I lived in Miami just kind of probably up until I was 10 and then um, moved out to like Chicago Midwest area. Um, But my whole family's still down there, like cousins, like dad, grandma, everybody's still out there. That's amazing because we met online. I don't really, who, do you know who we met through? Um, you know what? I think it was like, it was on my business page and then it was completely separate from like my personal page. I don't even have, I think I was saying this with you as well. Um, like I don't even have any of like my family and stuff on there early on. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, wait, are you, I think you were at a birthday party or something. I'm like, wait, I think those are my cousins. Oh my God. That's right. So wait, I, who are, wait, who are your cousins? Um, so Gabriela and then her husband, Alfredo. And then I think, I don't remember the connection, but somehow. um, Okay. So let me, let me tell you guys, this is crazy. So Barbara lives in Chicago. I live in Miami, obviously. We find each other online by way of what I think is probably like, because I liked your aesthetics on your professional page. (laughs) I liked what you were talking about, whatever. We find each other probably on a homepage or on the search page. And like, we probably have some mutuals and like Instagram Mm -hmm. knows that, but we had no idea, nor does it show that we have any mutuals really, because like she said on her business page, she doesn't follow any like friends and close family. Right. Then she's seeing my stories. I am at a family holiday party, which is kind of like not even our real family. Gabe, my fiance, my, uh, immigrated here back in the eighties, his mom, they were refugees, essentially. I wish that they would actually call them that because from Colombia, mm-hmm. it was like super violent. His dad, his grandma, mm-hmm. everyone was murdered. This family that was like a family friend of theirs kind of took them in, sponsored them in a lot of different ways. Like his mom worked for their family. And so we still, once I had my daughter, we reacquainted with them more intimately because they're basically our family here in Miami. And they invite us over for every like Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the things. And Gabriella, who you're talking about, is like their extended family. So it's really cool. We have like such um, intimate yet random quote unquote family connections. So I can't wait to meet you in real life. So yeah, no, this this is is awesome. That was so great. Sorry for like the family tree, guys. Thanks for following along. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of necessary. So you are a, you're Barbara San Ramon. I love that last name. My grandma used to live in San Ramon, California. So another connection. You're a leadership coach and consultant um, for women who want to evolve as leaders while also growing their organizations. You have a background in education, a doctorate in leadership, and you are committed to only engaging work that allows people to show up as their most authentic selves. It's so beautiful. So tell me, you know, you have a doctorate. Why are you a coach? How did you get into coaching? So it actually kind of emerged through that program. So it was like four and a half years. And part of the program um, was like you sign up and yes, there's coursework and stuff, but you also get a leadership coach. And this is something that was like, 
okay, that's fine. Like whenever I was initially signing up for it or beginning coursework. Um, and that was a person that I essentially met with and would meet with like in the beginning weekly. And then after that, maybe biweekly. And then after that, it became monthly. Um, and this is somebody even after graduating from the program that I'm still very much connected to and have had like two additional leadership coaches since then. And it was such a transformational experience to have somebody see you and then also see your work and then say, okay, this is, this is like, what is next for you? Or this is kind of like your blind spots that you're not seeing. Um, and also to just like call me on my bullshit. Like, no, this is not why you're not doing this. This is why you're not doing this. Um, because I know you. And I think that that is something that people experience no matter what. Like, I think that I maybe would have gone through that in life and seen that for myself um, eventually. But I think one thing coaching does is it just, it helps you get there to where you want to go, wherever that there may be um, differently, faster. Um, and then also just not that, not that fast is the goal, but it allows you to do so through like dialogue. Like you're, you're talking to somebody, you're getting to know somebody intimately. Um, and after going through that, like coaching was never something that one, I sought out nor two was like interested in doing. So after going through the experience of like being the, the person being coached, for four or five years um, and having that background in education, organizational leadership, I really kind of shifted the way that I wanted to work and was like, I, I really want to also support um, women that are leading their small businesses to think about, okay, this is the way that big business works. And this is, this is what makes large businesses operate well, leading big teams, you know, hundreds of people and make that work for people that are leading teams of like one to five, three to five. Um, both supporting them to grow their company, but also them as leaders. And I think both of those side by side is like just a transformational experience for you as a person. And I can say that because like I experienced it um, by going through that process as well. I think when people think about leadership, they think about, well, at least when I think about leadership, I'll speak for myself, but I think also there's like an industry around leadership. So it's created a perception of what it is. We might think like speaker, um, a leader of a large community of like a following, like a mastermind leader or a leader of a corporate company or a leader of a big company, like more than 50 people, right? Like you need leadership skills, and being a an owner or an entrepreneur or just even managing team members, you actually need leadership qualities and skills. And what I think is interesting is like there's a phrase that says, you know, like born to lead, right? Like people, there's people that are born to lead and then there's people that are just born to follow. Like there's kind of this like predefined type of types of people. But in fact, what I'm actually learning throughout my life, which is why I really wanted to have you on here so we can really get some tangibles for the people out there listening and some awareness that what I really learned is that we need leadership in our everyday lives and in our relationships. We need leadership in the one to three people that we manage. We need leadership in our personal relationships, friends, and intimate relationships. We need leadership as mothers, right? Fathers. And so really taking ownership of that, I think, is something that I would love to just 
you know, share with people is that, and what I'm excited to, to have this conversation for is to really encourage people and give people like the permission slip to step into that leadership role, whether it's in your friendship, family, or, or home, or in your business, whether it's small or large, or whether you work for somebody else and you're just managing a team or an assistant. What is your perception on leadership? Tell us what leader, like your definition on leadership. Tell us what leadership is and why it's essential to our everyday lives. I love just like everything you just said. So if we could just replay that over and over again. Um, but I think the way that one, the way that I um, approach leadership or define leadership. And one thing that I constantly say to the people that I work with is like leadership as we know it is bullshit. Like it's just, it just is because we're, we're taught in like, society kind of like keeps and gatekeeps these positions of leadership. And then that is the only thing that we look at when we're thinking about leadership. Like, like you said, a leader of a big business, um, a leader of a large team, a political, um, somebody that is like very large or like the president or somebody that's like very active. Yeah. Like a huge, um, person within like the community, but it needs to always seem like it's these large moments. It needs to seem like, like a leader is this like, um, kind of like taking lead quote unquote on all of these huge things that are going to have this huge impact. And that's really not it. They also feel very, the people and the things that you all mentioned, they feel very ominous, very powerful. And like, yeah. you don't have autonomy. Yeah. And I, and I think that that you've kind of hit the nail on the head right there. It's like that perception of power that feels scary to take ownership over. Cause you don't want to take your, you know, most people, most of us don't want to take autonomy away from people. I don't yeah. want to overstep and I don't yeah. want to not be liked. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be huge. seen as a bitch. And I think that like that part of, of this, like gatekeeping leadership, but also saying that like people are not naturally born leaders, um, I think is, is problematic and it's dangerous because then you're telling people that like, well, you didn't have it when you were younger. Like you can't do it now. You're just such a quiet person. You can't be a leader. And that's terrible. And I think that, um, leadership is really understanding yourself and understanding, um, how you perceive yourself, how others perceive you and not in a way of like caring what people think about you or being so wrapped up in that, but a way that you are so self-aware that you understand how your leadership functions and how you make impact and how you move people um, in those small moments, in those small moments where you're building trust. And that's really, I think, where I've found in this leadership work that you have the greatest impact is in those one-on-one -on -one relationships, in those like small interactions with people that they slowly start to build trust with you. They start to open up and like know who you are as a person and learn your story. Um, those are the small moments where like leadership and true leadership is actually built. And that really requires one self-awareness um, two opening the door to like deep trust and, and allowing people in. Um, so like being vulnerable is actually very difficult to do. And I'd say that's probably the hardest component of leadership, but the more that you practice vulnerability, the easier that it becomes. And I think that's something that I really did early on was just self-silencing. Like, I don't think that, um, I know you're a Leo. I think you're a Leo. I think I've seen that. Yeah. So am I. So I, I, I see like things about, and this is like my, my big Leo energy moment. Like I never really, um, thought that 
when I'm going into settings that I don't belong. Like, I don't think that I ever had a moment of like, oh, like I'm not smart enough to be here. I'm not like capable enough to be here. It was more of a sense of control. So it was more of like, somebody has said something. I know that I need to respond, but I don't want to have an emotional response or I don't want to have like, I don't want to give them that power. And the more that I understood and learned where that was coming from and why I was self-silencing really supported me to like, okay, one, I need to start practicing using my voice more regularly, more often in front of more people. And then um, even in small settings, right? This isn't like you need to talk in front of a hundred people. And then also start recognizing what like my triggers are in those settings that cause me to go from, I have something to say to I'm now shutting down. And I think that's really important to what you mentioned earlier of like, this isn't just you're a speaker in, in this large room. This is in small moments with your family, with your friends, with your small teams. Um, and that's really where I think people have, have the greatest impact is if you can realize what, what kind of barriers you're creating for yourself from moving yourself forward, from taking that next step, you really start to tap into your fullest leadership potential. Um, in, in stepping into kind of who you are as a leader. Do you think that there's like some sort of, like you, we were just talking about like one-on-one -on -one or intimate relationships. Like I'm really good one-on-one -on -one and intimately sharing honestly, authentically. I give no fucks. Like I will be able to tell you, don't do this. Please don't do that. This is what I think. Right. Like, and I can lead with kindness and, and confidence and not hurt people's feelings. Right. It's fine. But there's this weird space between like four, like five, eight, six, seven. I remember when I was a yoga teacher and I'd walk in the room and there's only like seven people there. I was like, oh my God, this is like deafening. But I could do one-on-one -on -one yoga teacher, teacher or teaching. I could teach a one-on-one -on -one yoga client super effectively. And I could teach 30 plus people really effectively but I had a weird thing around like five to 20 people that was like, oh my God, they're all watching me. And this is a really awkward amount of people. And I felt it felt too intimate, but not curated enough. And so what is that where it's like, everybody's different. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some people who couldn't show up to a room with just one person and talk to them, but they could do it for 10 people or they could could never do a hundred people in a room, but they could do it from one to twenty. What are what is this? Do you know the psychological difference in those numbers and group settings versus intimate settings? Yeah, I think that it's that's that's really interesting, and I think that it definitely like ranges because I'm I've had conversations with people and they're like the one on ones like I can't I can't even do it like I'm overthinking what they're thinking about I'm you know kind of stressing myself out before even going into the conversation. They're like, I can speak in a room of a hundred and not have any problem. Um, but I think it's, it's more so like what, not so much of like, what is it about that number, but what is it about thinking about being in a room with, in a small intimate setting? Like what, what comes up in a small intimate setting? Does that like push mm. me to have to share X, Y, and Z, or does that now prompt me to think about oh, they're now maybe drawing their own conclusions or they're all, you know, talking about me or thinking about me or whatever it may be that is kind of prompting those thoughts. I think it's more so- So it's more about your um, internal dialogue. And I think it's like, it's just our past experiences. Like 
if we have had really positive experiences one-on-one um, with people because we are able to build trust, we're able to be vulnerable, we're able to like not really care about what somebody is saying in those one-on-one settings, but maybe in a group setting, you're like, well, shit, I can't build the one-on-one, I can't build that like trust, I don't have that relationship, but they're all here, but now I have to like engage with them, but I don't know how. Like those, I think those instances create so many different scenarios um, that like lessen for myself, speaking from my own um, kind of experience and settings that like I would shut down in is once that sense of control would leave, I would be like, oh shit, like what what are we doing here? Or like what's about to come up? So one of the things that like I would do is in those small settings, like in those kind of team intimate moments where I still needed to hear from multiple team members, but didn't necessarily, it wasn't just like a, a fluid dialogue. It's just having like a really structured setup that allows for people to be able to speak up that allowed for myself to be able to speak up. Cause again, I was focusing on what does it mean to find your voice in these different spaces? Um, and having like a really structured time within those small group settings, um, having a really thought out, um, if it was one hour, like laying that out, not in a sense of it doesn't give people moments to talk, but when we do engage in moments to speak, is that in a structured way that is going to be, um, that is going to actually get us to a certain place versus just people venting versus in some one-on-one settings, like I wouldn't have an agenda. I'd go into it. There was trust there. You know, let's just, let's just kind of have a more free, um, structure because I trusted that it wasn't going to go, you know, somewhere else. Um, so I think it's really thinking about like when you're going into a setting, what sets you up for success, what shuts you down. And in the moments that you are going to, or you think that you're going to shut down, how can you add some additional tools in that space to add structure, to support you to still do what you do well and show up how you want to show up? Because I think that that's, that's what like the structure adds. It's not so much to say, I'm going to pack this agenda so that like nobody can think about how I feel right now. It's more so embedding the structure in so that you as the leader feel comfortable to still show up in the way that you want. To. Yeah. And I think so much of that comes points back to, to confidence, right? Like I feel like when you create boundaries and structure and things have been almost recited in a way like, or where they don't need to be recited even because there is so much structure that prompts the next thing. It triggers the next thing, right? Then you can walk into it confidently. And I think so much of leadership for me is about whether you have the confidence or not to execute the thing that you want to execute or say what you want to say. So it sounds like to me, what I hear you saying is create some sort of structure in these scenarios where you feel confident to show up to them because that structure will allow you to create that confidence. And I think there's such a mystery around what confidence is, right? Like it's like, just it's also very similar, we could say to leadership. It's like, oh, there's people that have it. There's people that don't. How are you so confident? So a question I get a lot. But when I've done something a hundred times, I'm confident doing it. When I did it the first time, I wasn't confident. I just had to fucking do it, which brings me to like the next point. What does it mean to show up and do things messy? What does it mean to lead when when you're not practiced leading, right? That is something that I had to work on a lot. Um, this idea of like 
firstborn, first child, like child of immigrants, like making my family proud. I think that I needed to let go of the perfectionism side um, and just like, just do, just do it like this. I always say this to people that I work with that you just have to start before you're ready because then you get those at bats in that when that moment does come up, when that always, you know, that moment that you've wanted to always come up is there, you are ready and you are prepared and you have done it so many times that you're like, this is, this isn't even, you know, this isn't even that hard, but the first time it's really hard. Um, and that's actually, so my company is called be bold group, but I, I, use this phrase of like, be a little bold. That's like my handle and everything because it was like launched from this idea that I had an interaction with somebody where I was put in like a very uncomfortable situation, um, to advocate for myself for something that I wanted to do, um, something that I wanted to like pursue professionally. And I had like a moment of, you kind of have to rock the boat a little bit to stand up for yourself. And I like, didn't, what was the moment? I'm like, this is not what um, um, it was like, a, a like this, like leadership program that I was interested in, in applying for and like needed something to like some form of approval. And then like, I didn't get that approval. And I'm like talking to my mentors, like, okay, people outside of who I worked with, I'm like, okay, this is the situation. What do I do? And they're like, no, this is, this is like your life. This is your learning. This is your career path. This is something that you want to do. Absolutely. Like go around this person, go take the third know, do door, right? Do. Not the front yes, door. Yes, that's exactly not the it. VIP door. It's exactly the third door. It. Take the yeah. third door. So they all said that in different scenarios. And I'm like, shit, like, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, piss this person off. I don't want to do this. This isn't like who I am. And they're like, yes, it is. I know you, you can do this. And I did. And I, you know, was able to kind of pursue what I wanted to do. And the relationship was fine and it, it ended up being okay. But had I not done that, um, had I not tapped into people to like hype me up and be like, yes, girl, you can do this. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, I think it would have been a really different outcome. And through that process, the program doesn't even matter. What I learned through that process is like, one, at the end of that, I was like, yes, that was really bold. And people around me were like, that was bold in a good way. And the second part was like, okay, so all of these people, again, how people perceive your leadership and how I perceived myself. I was like, yeah, that was kind of a courageous move. That was bold. People were saying that was bold. And I'm like, that was fucking terrifying. Like that was scary. It felt really gross. I didn't like it. I like all of the feelings of, wow, you're doing this courageous, bold thing should feel in theory should be like, good. You feel great. You have like these great outcomes. You feel, um, you know, relieved, like none of that, none of that was there. So, um, it really, what, what I was able to build kind of a, a brand and a business off of was to say like these large moments that, that society is telling you leadership is and courage is and being bold is, is really not that like, this isn't, this isn't, what you think it is in the movies. This is really small moments of you taking that step when you have your community behind you and your people behind you that are like kind of just push you a little bit when you need to be pushed and you do the things that you are truly destined to do and that you are, that you want to do. But sometimes you need that, that kind of that first step. And that's all it is. I think it's like, if I could draw a line in the sand and it's like, how bold are you being? How courageous are you being? I'm like one, one milli step in front of that line. Like it wasn't, 
this huge moment. I think the more that people can realize that, the better and the easier that it is to just kind of start moving in that direction, start feeling bold, start feeling courageous, start feeling rebellious for yourself. Um, and, and that act of like defiance, that act of disruption really starts to feel good over time because you're saying like, fuck what you think of me and what you think I'm supposed to be and what you want me to say. I'm going to step into this, um, as what I see myself as a leader and how I see myself showing up for my community, however, the size, you know, big or small. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the moment of, it's not, it's not huge. It's very small. It's very uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes you will not like it in the moment, but, but it, it definitely pays. Yeah. Off. And what I hear you saying is that it takes type tapping into your emotions, tapping into your anger, tapping into your rage and really tapping into that emotional aspect and allow yourself you know, there's something we talk about in spirituality a lot is to like, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing, but the opposite of that is to really embrace your rage and to really cultivate it and feel it and sit in it and to really own that part of yourself, right? We're our shadow and we're our light. We are not separated from either of those things. So in that we are our rage, we are our pain, we are our anger, and we are as well our joy and all the beautiful emotions, but it's like to really cultivate that anger, to really cultivate that rage, to really feel it and to allow it to move up to up your chakra system, like Shakti energy and to move out and take action is really the truth of what that means, right? It's not feel your rage and go lash out at somebody at the grocery store or have road rage or take it out on your employees, but really to allow it to fulfill, to fill you up. And almost like a drummer, he feels the beat and he taps on the drum. It's like the end result is the tapping on the drum, right? It's his body in motion. The end result is you taking action. And so of course it doesn't really feel good because you just basically exploded out, <laughs> you know, your momentum, your anger, your rage. Um, and this, in this scenario that we're talking about, it's more like, stepping up into leadership, right? Stepping up towards people that are holding power um, in a more, in a more subtle way. What does that look like when you're running a team? And even in that you are feeling angry rage because you feel like you have to micromanage these people, or I tried to let them do it themselves and they're not just not getting it done. Now I have to micromanage or they're just not getting it done. Let me do it myself, which is something that I feel fall guilty of is like, I'll just do it, you know? And then I'm not really taking leadership. I'm just taking ownership of one more task that should actually be delegated. So what are those more subtle ways when we're running a team that we can step into our leadership and into our power and have more nuanced conversations? I think one thing you mentioned of that even like embracing the rage and embracing the anger is such a core part of that. And it's something that like, I mean, probably took me year, years to work on um, in a good way. And this is like with my coach working through this is to better understand like, what am I feeling that takes me all the way to the point of now I'm not going to say anything. Like I'm so, I'm so upset. I'm so angry that like, I'm just like, never, mm -hmm. I'm shutting down. And which is like a trauma response, which is a freeze. That. It's fight, it, it flight, it's freeze, absolutely. fawn. Yes, yes, yes. 
And I think that I got to a point where I'm like, okay, well, you're the lead, like you're the actual leader here. You need to step into this. How are you stepping into and actually feeling everything that you are feeling instead of being so caught up in, I'm not going to give this person my power and I'm just going to shut down. Like, how do I take back that power and feel what I am feeling in its fullest? And this is like calls of all, all the tears, right? Like all the emotions, all of feeling everything. And after going through kind of that process of understanding myself and being self-aware of where I was at as a leader and kind of holding up that mirror and saying, okay, this is who I am. This is how I'm showing up. Um, not that I wasn't leading a team before that, but I could definitely lead a team better through a sense of I am embracing my emotions. We are going to have those conversations. We are going to talk about this as a team because so many times this traditional, what I call myth, this traditional model of like, you show up to work, you leave your emotions at the door. Like you're coming in, like that's mm -hmm. such bullshit. And it becomes really problematic to work in spaces like that, even even more so when it's a smaller team because you Yeah, you're just living like, in a world of su suppressed emotions. Yes, yes. And it's like, if there's only five people on the team and you know, you're showing up that way and you're saying, leave your emotions at the door, leave your emotions at the door uh, day in and day out. And that's how you lead your team. It's continuously going to create this like undercurrent of, well, we're not showing up as our authentic selves. We can't actually say what we want to say, whether that be, innovative or whether that be I'm feeling silenced or I'm feeling, mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z. So I think one of the main things for me when it's, when it comes to leading a team is one that you have to hold space for people. Um, and you have to like understand who they are. And I, and I say that not to say like, what are you feeling today and why, like, where are you at today? I say that more so to like, how do you know the people that are on your team? How do you know their strengths? How do you know how they communicate? How do you know their areas of growth? Um, I always love engaging in this kind of like these early assessments when I'm supporting somebody else to build a team or I'm building one myself. Like, okay, we're doing the communication assessment. We're doing a strengths assessment. I want to know how you lead. I want to know how you lead when there's chaos. I want to know what shuts you down. Like all of those things hmm. early on. And then do we all understand one another? And I think the more that we're able to do that, the next step from there is, is developing people. And I think that's, that's a key component of leadership is, is also leadership development, and capacity development of how you are developing the capacity of those on your team to do what you want them to do. Um, instead of getting to the point of just like, never mind, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it myself. Um, and I think that so many times when it goes from, I think, again, this traditional model of leadership is here is a task. I'm your quote unquote superior. I'm giving you a task, complete the task because I told you to, instead of understanding how that person works. And it takes more time. It definitely takes more time, but you get to where you want to be. You also have longevity with your relationships um, and your employees. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that if you're developing the capacity of others over time, whether it be around certain tasks or around certain projects or just like vision setting, like here's where we're going in the next three to five years, and I need you to ride with me. It, it also requires a relationship both ways, right? So you want to tap into the people that you are building this team with and understand where they do need to grow and push them. And I think that you can tell a very quick like, metric to know that your team 
is high functioning is how quickly you can provide somebody feedback and how much, how quickly or how effortlessly, effortlessly, I guess I should say you can provide your team with feedback and then how quickly you can get back to doing the work that you are doing. Like if I can just say, Hey, like, I think that we should actually do this like this, or I think that that's not really what I had in mind. Let's take that back to the drawing board. If you can say that and the other person be like, okay, let's keep running with it. And the conversation keeps going. That's really an indicator of trust. Like there has been trust that has been established there where I can give you feedback and you're not going to take it personally because you know that it's not personal. It's not coming from, from a negative place. Um, but it's not, you know, so there's, again, that's misconception of like this culture of nice, like we just all need to be nice to each other. And it's, it sounds like it's actually a culture like, of trust. No, that's yes, 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 absolutely. Um, but yeah, that, that just requires like knowing people, right? Like knowing who you're working with, building them up, building their capacity, um, and supporting them to lead in their own mm-hmm. small spaces as well. It sounds like being an effective leader is also being a really good listener. Yes. Yes. And then what does Absolutely. it look like to create, how do you create these professional boundaries around like, okay, now I really understand trust and know this person I've gotten to know them and we don't suppress our emotions. Um, my question was where, how do you keep the balance and the boundaries of professionalism so that we're not in a space in our, in our office of venting and emotions and really excuse making, because now we all know mm-hmm. each other so well, how do you draw that line and create those boundaries? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely tough. And I think kind of like we said before with smaller teams, you just feel it more like it's not we're in this huge space of a hundred people and you, you know, you talk with the small group. I think you definitely feel it more when you're working with small teams. Um, so I think one is recognizing, um, and setting those boundaries up front. Like we're not, I also think that, you know, if a person needs to vent every day or every week, like how frequently is this happening? Um, just kind of going off of that example and what is causing that stress and can we start to change that, um, whatever is causing the barrier, whatever is causing the stress, can we start to change that so that, you know, is it that you need support? Is it that you need um, additional team members? Is it that you need a different project? Like what are the things that you are going to feel successful in? Um, And then I think that that professional culture of we're not just going to like sit here and talk shit about each other. Uh, I think that like that can also happen or exist within when you're leading small teams um, that also kind of relies on deep trust. Like I think some of those open and honest relationships uh, or conversations need to happen, but there's definitely a time and a place for it. And there's like, we're currently in working hours right now. And then like, we're, we're quote unquote, like off the clock. Cause I think that when you get caught up in, in that culture, so much of, we're just venting. We're just like, I'm stressed. Do you know what, do you, do you know what show I've been um, watching? This is so pertinent to this conversation. I've been what? watching below deck. They live, sleep, eat, oh my se- God. have sex, drink. Oh my God. Like they do all the things Everything. in the span of like six weeks and with charter guests, right? Like, so all these things are happening. Yes. It's like such a fascinating study on like the human professional experience experience like this would be like literally like a really good show for you to like break down on instagram stories i feel like because it's like and that's that's what i was thinking of just now it's like 
these young adults, you know, only 25, 23, 24 are put in these leadership roles. And a lot of the workforce, that's the yeah. reality is that these, I th I find it so amazing. Mm -hmm. Like at 23 years old, I didn't know like up from down. I didn't know what was going on at 23. Like, I feel like for millennials or my genre, like my group of, I don't know, my peers, it was like, I'm only 23. I don't know. I should, I don't have any responsibilities, but now you really see young people with a lot of experience, a lot of technical skill set, stepping into some major roles, working in amazing careers and yet <laughs> there needs to be, you know, you might not have the emotional maturity to understand boundaries and leadership. And so I find this just fascinating. And I also don't think like you studied for this, right? And I find it really sad that our culture doesn't put more emphasis on this topic and this study because it seems like it's such a beautiful skill set that should be honed and developed and really part of the process of maturity and and existing as as an evolved human like a spiritually emotionally and mentally evolved human yeah no totally i completely agree and that would be a very interesting study i can binge that show i'm gonna send you Easily. episodes i'm like this shit's crazy <laughs> but yeah no oh my god let's do like a Okay, and now let's go into this episode. But it's it is very interesting because I think that it's um, depending on age, depending on background, depending on experience, depending on comfortability, or like you know this is your work family and this is this is the only people that you see all the time. Um, I think that there is a time and a space for it, but there's also a time and a space to draw those boundaries and ensure that it doesn't seep into it becoming like where is it drawing the line between. I want to ensure that you feel comfortable and this is like a positive working environment versus crossing the line until like mm -hmm. now it's becoming toxic and it's, yeah. it's too much. Um, what is, so tell us about the ways in which you work with people. I know you do consulting and coaching and you have group programs. So what are the different ways people can work with you and what does it look like for them to work with you? Yeah. So right now, um, I offer a course. So I offer a course. It's like a six-week course. Um, and these are really for women that are just starting off. They're just starting off in their business. They are a team of one. And I always say a team of one because whether like you are wearing 20 hats and you are working with yourself, I feel like that's still approaching it through this team mindset um, is really important for you to kind of set yourself up for success. So that really sets the foundation. Um, for them, like launching a new business, uh, thinking about it through this organizational mindset, thinking about it through, um, you know, building a team in the future. So that's the first way is, it's really just the six week course that sets you up for the blueprint. It's called the blueprint. The second way is um, coaching. So it's just one-on-one -on -one executive leadership coaching. And that is really through, um, we meet, it's like three months, also six months. So what I found is like three months is too short. And we need the full six months. And I um, meet kind of like bi-weekly every two weeks, every three weeks through a live um, coaching call, hourly coaching calls. And then also we use like Slack in between. But that is a combination of um, women that are leading teams that can either be you're like in a traditional in a corporate setting. Maybe you work for somebody else, but you are leading a team. 
um, really supporting their development capacity and uh, for leading that team. And the second part is somebody who has launched their own business and needs support leading a team of like one or two, and they are starting to build that that out. Um, and then the last one is people that have or leaders that already are, have their existing business. They have had it maybe for a few years. Um, they have a team of anywhere from three to five, five to 10. It's an existing team. They don't need support putting it together, but they really just need to develop those systems and structures to say like, maybe I have a team, but it's not really working well, or I'm trying to hire people and it's not working well. Um, and that really need kind of me to come in and support them to develop their own leadership capacity situated within their existing team. Um, and also kind of try to put those structures in place so that they can, they can do good work and they can be, you know, comfortable in that space. So kind of three different levels, but all still within the realm of, I want to work with women to develop their leadership capacity. Um, no matter kind of where they're at. And I think initially I was thinking, okay, I'm going to work with women that are um, leading teams within larger corporations. And what kind of naturally evolved is working with women that were saying like, fuck that, I'm building my own company because this is too much and finding the power in that. And it's been, it's been really awesome. Um, just the people that I've been able to work with and being just in the online space, you get to see people and meet people from everywhere which is really awesome just to kind of get those different experiences and backgrounds and kind of see where they're at. Um, and no matter the size of the team or if it's a team of one or they're building a community, I always want to start by situating that person as the leader. And there's been so many moments in this work of like, well, shit, yeah, I guess I am the leader. And like the people that I'm working with say that. And there's always, I think, whether you are listening and you're, you know, kind of affirming yourself as a leader or just seeing that, I think that the more that you can tell yourself, I am the leader of my own community, I am the leader of, you know, the spaces that I navigate, the more that you can affirm that for yourself, the more that, you know, you can start to support those small ways to show up as yourself in those spaces. Because I think that when you feel comfortable in who you are, now the next step is showing up in multiple spaces as who you are. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to do, uh, depending on where, you know, where you're at, where you're beautiful. Work, where you're the ripple effect must be so, such a joy to see resonate back to you mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. you do this work. It's so, it must be so meaningful. I love it. So you have a next, Absolutely. you have another group coaching course launching in October. And so if people are listening, they can either join the wait list for the next round or join, um, this current round joining in October. And I want to ask you one last question. What does rebellious reinvention mean to you? What's your interpretation? I think, first of all, I love it. Um, love just the fact that the word rebel is in it. And I think that the rebellious part, um, the part that speaks to me is the disruptor part. Like we are acknowledging that there are things within our life and within our system that are traditionally there and do not work for us. They do not serve us. So that's the rebellious part um, of like, we are actively working against it. And I think actively showing up as ourselves to work against it. And I think that that's like a really beautiful thing. Um, and I've even, you know, like told you in your DMs, I'm like, I love just what you stand for and like the work that you do, not just for your community, but with your family. And I think that you're so um, open and honest about that work that that within itself is, 
Thank is you. disrupting the norm, is disrupting what, you know, what I think is very problematic and what like traditional society is. And the reinvention part, um, I think is like opening the door for constantly pivoting, constantly knowing that like we are evolving, we are humans, we are, you know, going to be one person today and are evolving and continuously reinventing ourselves. And I think that that requires the ability to be courageous and bold and like be like, you know what? I want to do this now. This is how I'm showing up today. This is what I'm doing today. Um, and not, and be like really apologetic, unapologetic about it. So I, I think that both that rebellious part, it's like, it's both things working in, mm-hmm. in community with one another, uh, to really show up authentically. Oh, I love that. As, as I love that are. interpretation. So beautiful and well said. Thank you so much, Barbara. It was a pleasure getting to know you. You're like family of family. We're like third or fourth cousins. Yes, <laughs> Not yes, at all, yes. kind of. <laughs> um, thank you for your time right. today. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure getting to know you and have an amazing rest of your day. Mm-hmm.